Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. All right, good morning. It's good to see everybody on this very cool uh, fall morning that we're having. Uh, I want to start out this morning by um, welcoming... Brian Stodnik, uh, he's here in the second row, missions pastor at our Sending Church. Yeah, go ahead and give him a hand clap, even though you don't know him. Uh, so our Sending Church is the church I grew up in. Uh, it's called Western Avenue. It's in Statesville, North Carolina. And uh, this weekend, we were supposed to have two pastors uh, out here visiting with us, and they both made it here. And then one of them, their wife, uh, had a medical emergency. Obviously not Brian, um, the other pastor, so he had to fly back. He was in Portland uh, long enough to get this, to eat gravy. <laughs> and you guys know I love gravy, so at least he got like one of the best meals you can get in the city before he had to fly back. Um, but take a chance afterwards, say hello to Brian, introduce yourself. Um, if it weren't for this church, we really would not have come out here and wouldn't have, be here. Uh, so God used this partnership for us to be here, so show honor where honor is due. So thank you, Brian, for coming out here and representing Western Avenue. Thank you, Western Avenue, um, for your partnership with us. Uh, and let me go ahead and pray, and uh, pray for, the other pastor's name is Andy, pray for his wife, India. Uh, don't know all the details, so I don't want to share more than just a medical emergency, and then we'll uh, get into our message this morning. God, we come to you. Uh, thank you that we can gather freely, even in a city like Portland, and worship you. God, thank you for your presence being here with us. God, thank you for the partnership, uh, the, the gospel-centered kingdom partnerships, just like we see with the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And God, that you have used this church in Statesville, North Carolina, to strategically send a family and to, to help see a church start here in Portland, Oregon. God, thank you for Brian and Andy for their willingness to come out here. God, thank you that Brian's been able to revisit a city he used to live in, actually. God, and see some of his old, old places that him and his wife used to visit and be here. God, we do pray for Andy. We thank you that he was able to get back so quickly. Just a quick turnaround. God, we pray for his wife, India. I'm not fully having details, but God, we pray that you would work there and that she would come through this, God, and for his family and that he's able to be there with him. God, we could come to you now and look at your word and know that you're going to speak to us. And so God, give us a ten of hearts and open our, our eyes and our minds and our ears to, to listen to you and what your spirit wants to say to us in your name. Amen. So today we're starting the final chapter of 2 Peter. Um, we're going to take two weeks to work through it, um, because otherwise we'll be in here for a good hour, hour and a half. I know you don't want to be here that long. Uh, so we're going to take the next two weeks, work through uh, 2 Peter 3, uh, taking a break next week, uh, because we'll be on our fall retreat. Hopefully uh, most of us will all be there. And then we're going to go into our Advent uh, series in December. And then we'll put a, put a bow on the year, and then we'll start it all over again. Um, this last chapter is all about the second coming of Christ. Now, the second coming of Christ was a frequent topic during the Jesus movement in the 1970s, uh, from what I've heard. I wasn't actually around uh, at that time. I came a little bit, a little bit later, um, but it seemed to be a, a topic of conversation. People were always talking about it, and, and we've kind of seen iterations throughout history of when's Jesus coming back, and some groups, it's, it's just genuine, like, seeking that. Others, it gets kind of weird. They'll predict it and put a date on it. Uh, but it seems the last decade or so, we've been kind of in this season where you don't maybe hear about it as, as much. Uh, probably, in some ways, because of fear of those kind of whacked out groups who, who totally predict it. Uh, but it's kind of dissipated. And much of Peter's concern in this letter 
is the false teachers who were coming in and saying that this isn't going to happen at all. But Jesus Christ himself promised his followers. He said, I will return. And that's some of the hope that we hold on to, that he is going to return, that he is going to make all things right. And God knew that the longer that Jesus waited, the longer that he, he tarries and, and doesn't return, the greater chance that his followers would have at being discouraged and further discouraged because of the life that they're experiencing, the greater chance they have at falling prey to the false teachers. So they come in and say, well, I thought Jesus was going to return. Well, well how long has it been? It doesn't look like he's coming back. This means it's not true. That's not actually going to happen. So Peter knew, or God knew that, and then Peter knew that. Peter said, hey, I want to warn you guys that there's going to be some who come in your midst who say this is not going to take place. And almost like we shouldn't even be prepared and we shouldn't even look for it. Now, when the Bible mentions Christ's return and his future judgment, because that's part of it, we looked at that heavily the last couple of weeks. Thankfully, we're beyond chapter two, we're in chapter three. But when the Bible mentions this, it mentions it for two reasons. The first reason is it's to encourage believers. So if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, it mentions it to encourage you to wait patiently in a world filled with injustice. And we hear that word justice a lot in our day and age, right? If you just look around, our world is filled with a lot of injustice. And it's saying, hey, patiently wait as those in Christ, in the world that you have found yourself living, if you look back to our first Peter series, the idea that we're sojourners, and Peter will remind us that the way that we live this side of glory, so our present day life, it actually does matter. So yes, we're waiting this out, but it matters how we live in light of the future that is to come. Christ is coming back and judgment is coming. So he wants to be clear about that if he wasn't clear enough in chapter two for us. And when he comes back, the righteous will receive the reward. So those who are in Christ, and we're hopefully going to pack that a little like we're righteous because of Christ, not because of anything that you did. But the wicked will also receive their due punishment. So the, so the two coincide. The second, when the Bible mentions it, the other thing that it's usually pointing out, it wants to awaken sinners to the reality of the coming judgment. And so his encouragement to us, if you remember back in chapter one, is pursue living a godly life. Pursue godliness. And, and these things that will be developed in you through the spirit of God. But it's also to live our lives in such a way that we share this reality with the world around us, those who have not turned and repented yet, so that they too will have that opportunity so they don't face the due punishment and, and the judgment that is coming or was coming to all of us apart from Christ. And so that we are to live our lives in such a way to say, you too can experience the grace of Jesus. You too can embrace this good news. I think today... We have become too comfortable living in this world. In some ways, we live in one of the countries of the world that makes that easy. We have a lot of comforts. I mean, in our city alone, as I've been taking Brian around to a city he lived in 22 years ago, it's like, man, we got so many restaurants and all this good food and good coffee and just everything, right? We, we did a drive yesterday around the gorge and went to Hood River. It's just beautiful and hikes and like, we've got everything here. It's comfortable. I think many of us are so comfortable. I'm sorry, I'm speaking broadly here, not just those in the room, but so we've gotten so comfortable as Christ's church that we're actually not that excited about the next life. We're actually not that excited about Christ returning because we're so comfortable in this life. We're like, I don't know that I want to let this go. 
because this seems like a really, really good place to be. Like we can live our best life now. I'm not going to go into that, but you even hear that phrase, and he's pointing to false teachers. There's a false teacher out there who kind of talks about this. You can live your best life now. That's not what Scripture teaches. It's like the Eminem song. He says, look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, I can't rap, would you capture it or just let it slip? Now, if this was the, like our only shot to live this life, right? And there's actually some truth to that. I, I, it's funny, I quoted that in our First Peter series, and I, I was actually looking at it this morning. There's some truth to that, because if you're not in Christ, honestly, this is your best your life's ever going to get. Live it up. Live the best life you can now. Get all the comforts. Climb the corporate ladder. Get the big houses and the nice car. Like, live it up. Because what is coming is very scary. But if you're in Christ, this isn't the best that it gets. Maybe this is the worst that it gets. Like you're kind of living hell on earth in a very real way. But we get an opportunity to tell others, like, it gets better. Come, come join this. I think people want reality to be delayed so they can experience the best of this life. Right now, if, if you're me, I remember as a teenager, because I was following Christ already, it's like, God, just don't come back yet because I want to get married. Okay? There's some obvious implications. I'm just going to let you fill in the blank. But God, like, I want to get married. Can you please wait for that? Because I don't know if heaven's going to offer that. And I want, I want to get married. That was Ben and Julia last year. <laughs> some people are like, God, I want to wait. And, I want to have children. I want to experience that. Or if you're like my parents' age and they're retired, they're probably tuning in today. Uh, you people, I'm, I'm experienced retirement. I want to I live like where I don't have to work. Some, some people, that is their best life, right? I want to have the beach house and the mountain house and live this life. Or I want grandchildren. Like, there's all these things. But God, like, can't wait, but can you wait just a little bit longer? Because I want to experience this in this life. Are these bad desires? No. Not a single one of those is a bad desire. But in light of what the New Testament reveals to us, we should live every single day as a Christ follower, knowing this reality that Christ is going to return. And we should live with this kind of this expectation that today might be that day. You know, I think about, I don't know if you've ever read the Steve Jobs biography. I love Steve Jobs and, and Apple products, if you can't tell. <laughs> I've got every Apple product. And Steve Jobs, he woke up every day. I don't remember exactly the phrase, but you know, he would basically look himself in the mirror and say, like, if, if what I do today isn't going to make a difference, then what am I doing it for? Now, to my knowledge, Steve Jobs was not a Christ follower, never gave his life to Christ. But in some ways, we should look at that example and go, man, this is how I should live my life. Like, look yourself in the mirror and go, is the way that I'm living my life today, what I'm doing going to make a difference? And I think specifically in light of eternity. Am I living in such a way to make Christ known and be expecting any moment he may return? This should motivate our daily living. This should motivate what, what Peter says is pursue godliness, how we live our lives and this shouldn't cause fear for us. I know the last couple of weeks has been heavy. Trust me, I've gone home feeling heavy the last couple of Sundays. It shouldn't cause a fear for us as believers, but a joyful, hopeful expectancy and that we get to invite others into this. So chapter three is all about the day of the Lord. A day that centers on Jesus. A day of immediate salvation, but of also a future one. Now on a wedding day, we know that that day is all about the bride and the groom. Okay, let's be real. That day is all about the bride. No one really cares about the groom. That is her big day. Well, the day of the Lord, it's all about Jesus. I think even that we kind of make it about ourselves. It's all about Jesus. But it is a day, although it's all about Jesus, a day that has implications for all of us. 
for every single man, woman, and child in all places for all of history. I can, I'll let Brian, if you talk to him afterwards, tell you this, but, but uh, his family has spent uh, the better part of a decade uh, serving as international missionaries and uh, focused on reaching Arab Muslims. And why do they do that? Because they know that every day matters and they want every single man, woman, child have an opportunity to hear this good news and to embrace it. That is why. And it, they were motivated by the same message that you and I follow. And so the main point of our sermon this morning is that as Christ followers, we're to hold fast to the promise of Christ's return. He is returning. It will get better. You might go through hell and back in the, in the meantime, we're kind of in this in-between, but it will get better and that we are to live our lives in light of his return. And so we're going to break it down uh, and look at four things. We're going to look at first that, that God's word reveals it, that, that he is going to return. Second, we're going to look at that God's past work supports it. Peter's going to kind of rewind the film like he's done in a couple weeks, kind of say that his work supports it. Third is we're going to look at God is patient in delaying it. And then fourth, that God's people, how we live in light of it. So number one, let's look at God's word reveals it. Look at verses 1 through 4. It says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter's doing what he did in chapter 1. We see this, this word stirring. It says he's stirring us up to remember. Well, what is it he wants us to remember? The source and authority of his teaching. He's saying, I'm a prophet. I didn't, these things weren't just made up. And so he's saying, I want you to remember that this came from the holy prophets and the apostles. This came from the commandments. In other words, saying that God is speaking to us through his word. Everything we do at Sojourn, we, we filter through the word of God. Which is why we go verse by verse. It's why we go through hard chapters like chapter two. Because we believe that it's, it's uh, God's word, it's holy, and that this is where we get our life's instruction. So he's saying, this is, this is where this is coming from. And then pick up verse three. He says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep and all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now you're familiar with the expression, haters gonna hate. Well, Peter says, scoffers gonna scoff. They're gonna come in and they're gonna, they're gonna scoff. They, like Satan in the Garden of Eden, they will come in and they will question God's word. They will come in and they'll start questioning God's promises because they've been delayed. They haven't been fulfilled. Well, maybe they weren't promises at all. So they're going to say, where's this promise? Where's the promise of his coming? Look at, look at life. Look around at all the injustice. God hasn't come back. How's that working out for you? They claim that the world is existing on its own, apart from God having involvement of the world. It's like God just kind of, he created it and just left it and just, just you know, our globe, whether you're, I don't know if we have any flat earthers in here, I'm not a flat earther, but the globe is just spinning out of control. God's just kind of, Kind of watch like that basketball you dip on your finger, right? It's just like God's just like, ooh. And so then they say, like, God has no involvement in the world. And they not only deny biblical truth, they actually mock what God has revealed as truth. 
Do we not see that today? Do we not find teachers and teachings that sound, once again, they're not going to come in with a sign. It's going to sound really similar. It's going to sound so good. It's going to be what our itching ears want to hear. But as we investigate it and as we filter it through the word of God, we'll realize that's not what God's word actually says. And so a major aspect these false teachers are overlooking is that God's second return coming through Jesus. They were implying it's past due. It's like they had a timeline. They said, well, it's past, it's past time. If Jesus was going to return, it would have happened in this time frame, and, and he hasn't come back. And so as a result, they're insinuating, saying, this isn't going to happen at all. You're foolish for believing this. God has no involvement in your life, and he's not coming back to rescue you. So Peter tells us first that God's word reveals it. Second, God's past work supports it. Let's pick up in verses uh, 5 through 7. He says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Despite the mocking of these false teachers, Peter fully believes in the trustworthiness of God's word. And so he demonstrates this by pointing to God's word and his past work that supports his word. He uses the forming of the world. If you want to take some time this afternoon, I'm not going to read it, but uh, open up to Genesis 1. And, and, and we see the the recording of the creation of the world by God, where God formed the heavens and the earth through the water. So it kind of talks, I think it's verse 6, talking about God kind of hovering over the water, and he, he, forms, he forms the world. God took what was chaotic, and he made something out of it. It'd be like if we, we were God and able to go down to uh, Cannon Beach next week for our retreat, and we see the chaos of the waves and the water of the Pacific Ocean, that we were able somehow to form that into something that, um, like the world that we live in. And so this points to that God was at work long before Adam and Eve ever came into being. And that he prepared the world for them and for their descendants. At the same time, after man rebelled, God used those same waters to flood the world in an act of judgment. So he took, he took the, the, the water, formed the heavens and the earth, but then when man rebelled against him, he used that same water to then enact judgment on the world which points to the false teachers. They're ignoring that reality. It's like they want to erase some of those, those parts and say that didn't happen. He, and he referenced that back in chapter 2. So church, we are to be like Noah. What did Noah do besides build the boat? He went around warning people, proclaiming to them that judgment is coming, but that you can escape judgment. I'm building this big ark, this boat. And I'm taking two of every kind of animal and that you too can, can escape. Before we know the, the account of Noah, he was mocked. He was made fun of. That guy's a lunatic. He's lost it. We haven't seen a drop of rain. He's over there building this, this boat. And so we too in our day and age, it's easy to go, man, we're living, this life is great. It sounds weird, but, but God is coming back. And this has real implications for every single man, woman, child in our city, in our nation, in our world. And so that we too are to go to proclaim this to the world around us. Now you may be thinking, 
What do these scoffers who deny God's revelation have to do with me? Well, these verses are warning us to not deny the biblical narrative. To not deny that these things actually took place and they actually happened. I think sometimes we'll read the parts of scripture that we don't like. Some of the stories of judgment and we're like, this is kind of like reading a book to my kids. Uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I think that's the one that my kids like to read a lot. Or Captain Underpants, right? It's like, oh, okay. Like, this sounds really silly. This didn't actually happen. And we'll read those parts. I mean, we turn Noah's, like, the flood, we turn that into a kid's story. Right? And we'll, like, paint the, the ark in their room and stuff. You're like, that's kind of crazy if you think about it. Like, that was God's judgment on the world. And so we want to deny that these things actually happened. And the other thing, this has to do with us, is that every time that we sin, and every time we continue to sin, we're talking about the idea of drifting away. We are challenging the very authority of God's word. Did his word really say that? We're kind of playing into what Satan did with Eve and Adam. Did that? Does God's word really say that? Well, sure, I mean, it's 2022. Surely I don't have to live in these parts. And we're denying that reality. And so Peter demonstrates that God's sovereign hand has interrupted the routine of history several times. That man was, mankind was living the way they wanted to live, doing what they wanted to do. And that God interrupted that. And so Peter returns to declare that he will do it again. That Christ is going to return, and this time on a universal scale of the destruction of the ungodly. So we let that sink in. But there's good news. Sometimes I feel like I'm probably better at delivering the bad news. So that's my bad. I apologize. But there's good news. And I want you to make sure you leave hearing the good news. I don't want us to leave going like, No, there's good news. Number three, let's return our attention. God's patient in delaying it. Verses eight through 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Peter gives us two reasons why the Lord has not returned yet. First is the Lord lives outside of time and space as we know it. Revelation 1.4 says, He is the one who is and who was and, is who, and who is to come. Now, as a kid, my three kids are in the room, you feel like Christmas takes forever to get here. Especially as we get closer to it, it feels like it takes exponentially longer because you start to hear the music in the stores and see the decorations and, you know, you get a tree the day after Thanksgiving, not before. Um, you know, all these things. And you're like, oh, this takes forever. I actually saw on Facebook, uh, my sister said my nephew, who's five, I don't know if, they, I guess they put the tree up last night. You convinced them to put their, they have an artificial tree, which is a sin in itself, but they put the artificial tree up and he woke up this morning thinking it was Christmas morning because the tree was up. So he was really, really upset. It was like, nobody, you've got a long time to wait. And then he said he hates Thanksgiving because you got to get through Thanksgiving to get to Christmas. But it seems like time takes forever, right? Summer, summer vacation for kids. You get in school, you're like, oh, the school year is so long. And we find ourselves as Christians feeling the same way as we wait for Christ's return. We say, man, it's, it's, it's taking forever. God, why, why, why is this taking so long? Is this actually going to take place? And so the Lord lives outside of our time and space. The second is God is patient in allowing us to come to him. Amen? This is good news. 
But God, is, his patience is allowing all people, all people, a chance to come to him. You see, there's grace even in the midst of judgment. So Peter kind of hit really heavy on judgment in the last couple of weeks. But even in the midst of this, talking about judgment, saying there's good news that any can repent. Why? Because it doesn't depend on you. That's good news. It depends on Jesus. If it depended on you, none of us would be saved. If it depended on, on our lives and how we live, and it would, none of us would be. There would be no chance. But it all depends on the person and work of Jesus. And God doesn't warn us of judgment and then tell us to get our act together. He doesn't say, this is coming. Now you better go live a good life. You better give this much money. You better show up. You better do these things. He doesn't do that. He doesn't warn us to get your, your act together. He warns us of judgment, and then he provides the escape. He says, this is coming, but wait a minute. I have provided a way for you where you can turn and repent through my son, Jesus. And that is good news. You see, the Lord is waiting for more people to come to repentance. So on our really bad days as believers, you know, sometimes we, we, we see something happening, a war in the world or a school shooting, and we think, God, come quickly. And I think we should resonate with that, but at the same time, it's in God's providential grace that he's delaying his return so that more people can come to repentance. And so whether you're in the room or whether you're listening online or whether you hear a podcast later, if you have not turned and given your life to Christ, don't delay any further. God is being patient with you to allow you to turn and come to him. He is delaying his judgment because of his grace and his mercy. And so we plead with you that God is showing his patience. God is showing his kindness because he loves you and he desires that all would repent and trust Jesus today so that we can come to him. That is the good news. And so Peter took us all through that judgment, but then yet to remind us of that. And this is the news that you and I are conduits of, that we get to carry this good news to our world around us. Verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, nobody knows the day or hour that Jesus will return. Right? So when these groups say, oh, it's going to happen on this day, normally what happens is they're like, oh, we meant this day. <laughs> They'll move it back. But everyone knows that he will arrive, or we will know when he arrives, because all of creation is groaning for him. Things are not how they were meant to be. Looking back to the garden. And so we're all longing for it. We're all groaning for it. And it will happen the same way the universe was created, by the word of God. God spoke and everything came into being. God will speak again and everything will come undone. So the day of the Lord will happen suddenly when we least expect it. It will come like a thief in the night. And when it does take place, there will be no place to hide. God sees all now, verse 10 has been a long debated verse. Is this literal? We go back and read the, the, the words, or is this figurative? Regardless, his main purpose is to lift up our eyes to the climax of history. It is clear that there will be destruction. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. We don't know exactly the degree that it'll look like. But we do know also there will be something new, the new heavens and the new earth, which will mark the end of creation's groaning. It'll mark the end of sin as we know it. It'll mark the end of pain, suffering, and tears. It'll mark the end of deception and loss. 
It'll mark the end of death for believers. It'll mark the beginning of the second death for the ungodly. Well, God's going to reverse this, which is why as Christians, we do cry out, come Lord Jesus quickly, because we know that we're going to be tired and we're over dealing with the, the hardships of life. And then our fourth point this morning is how God's people live in light of it, verses 11 to 13. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. So Peter points back to where we started this, this whole letter. Living as the people of God in light of this reality. First, he encourages us. He says, live holy and godly. Our lives should be marked by a reverence for God that resemble the nature of God. Now, God's nature is not our nature. But he tells us back in chapter 1 that through God's power, he has given us his nature. And so our lives should reflect that. And we wait eagerly and patiently for the coming day of God. And we actually get a role in his return through our lives. Well, we don't know exactly how this works, right? God is, we're using big words. God's providence and God is sovereign. God's over all of creation. He's not just watching that thing, the world spin. Now, he's God. He probably could put the world and let it spin and do his own thing. But he, he is active in our world. But Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let me read that again. It has a lot of implications for our life. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Right? So we've talked a little bit about global missions. We've got a, a global missionary in the room. Uh, we've got some others who've done global missions. We've got uh, a couple who I'm praying that God wants them to stay in the U.S. a little bit longer, but eventually he's going to go overseas, right? And they're going to proclaim the gospel, the kingdom to the world as a testimony to all nations so that all may hear I can't remember how many unreached people, there's thousands of unreached people who have never heard the name of Jesus, never heard this gospel message. It says that that this will be a testimony of them and then the end will come. And so we see that this is a purpose of our life. If you've ever wondered, like, what's the purpose of my life? Now, I'm not saying what your job is to be with that purpose or where you're supposed to live or who you're supposed to marry. But this verse, this implication, it gives you purpose. You never have to wonder again, what is my purpose? Your purpose is that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed, that you go and proclaim this throughout the world, throughout where you live, where you work, where you play, the neighbors that you have, the co-workers that you have, the hobbies that you have, and where it may lead you, whether that's in Portland or in London or in India or Slovenia or wherever else. You have an infinite purpose now to go throughout your life as a Christ follower. And then second... This points back to God's promises, where all of our hope comes through to fruition. It says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, some believe heaven and earth will be destroyed and they'll be new, and some believe it's going to be returning back. I don't know what, the, what, it, what exactly it's going to look like. I just know that we're told it's going to be new, and it's going to be really, really, it's going to blow our minds. I think if we could understand it now, we wouldn't be able to, like, we'd just be laying on the floor. Maybe the crazy Pentecostals got it right. Like, we would just be like, I can't handle this. So God waits. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. 
Revelation 21, which Ben read for us at the beginning, I'll read it again. Verse one through the first part of verse five says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is what we long for. That Jesus is going to return and he's going to fix all of it. All of our hardships, all of our headaches. He's going to fix all of it. But until he returns, we are to live in this world doing good, pursuing godliness until that day comes. And so the cry of our heart is, come Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll transition into our time of response this morning. God, we thank you for your first coming. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to this earth that rebelled against you, that turned your back on you. God, the brokenness of our life, the groaning pains of creation, God, that we see every single day, that we live through the hardships of life. God, you sent Jesus into that hell-bent world to offer a way of rescue for us. God, we thank you. We love you for your mercy, for your grace. But God, you've not only that, but you've promised that Jesus is going to return again. And then in the meantime, we are to pursue living a life of godliness, but then we also are to go and share with others. God, that there is a, a day of judgment. They have reckoning is coming, but God, that they don't have to experience it in the sense of destruction, but God, that they can come to know you, that they can follow you. God, they become children of you who you call beloved. And so, God, we thank you for your grace in our lives. And I ask that it would spur us on to go and share this good news with all of the world around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.